Pouring up the champagne Pop It's my house Come on Turn it up uh. Hear a knock on the door And the night begins Cause we've done this before So you come on in Make yourself at my home Tell me where you been Pour yourself something cold Baby cheers to this Sometimes you gotta stay in And you know where I live Yeah, you know what we is Sometimes you gotta stay in, in. Welcome to my house Baby, take control now Welcome to another edition of the Pixel Roll Show, where we discuss, you know what we discuss, you're Washington Wizards. Hello everyone, this is Adam McGinnis, it is April 19th, 2016, the weather is phenomenal, uh, sports are back all over, the baseball teams are doing very well, the Nats, the Orioles, the Caps are 3-0 against those thugs from Philadelphia, Everything is just doing really well here in the spring. Playoff basketball has started in the NBA. And, of course, those Washington Wizards are not involved. So all those good things are happening. And we are discussing coaching changes, uh, Ernie Gruffle press conferences, a lot of negativity, but also some positivity. So with me today to talk about all those things going on in Washington Wizards world, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, this guy... I have actually met him uh, in person since the last time he's been on, uh, last fall. Uh, I think we we were discussing when the Wizards were not playing well, like, should we be alarmed at, at, at their uh, slow start? Both of us said we should not be alarmed, let it play out. Oh, oh, did it play out? It played out exactly uh, in bad fashion. Uh, but he is back. Uh, he is one of the... One of, the, one of the few Wizards writers I do respect uh, in this planet Earth uh, knows where all the bodies are buried, uh, especially Andre Blotch's headband. I'm always going to make that joke. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Jake Whitaker. Jake from Bolts Forever. Jake, what is up, dude? How are you, yes. buddy? I am, I am doing a lot better now that um, my evenings are not tied up to watching um, the team that we just finished watching. Yeah, that was um, a bit of a slog there at the end. Oh, you, you don't want to stay up late for Suns, Suns Wizards at ten thirty on a Friday, or, or Kings, Kings Wizards? I, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, I, I'll stay up late for some stuff, and and I, I did stay up late for that, but it, it, it was not ideal. Is that a, what, you know? It, it's it's one thing when you're cranky because you just didn't get enough sleep, but then when you didn't get enough sleep and you watched. The Kings beat you at like one in the morning. That, that's not ideal. Yes, it, it's it's really terrible. It's one thing to watch the Blazers or the Warriors, right? Little 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 Wizards after dark, and they stink out a victory or play 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 well. But that just wasn't in the cards uh, this 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 past season. Now, no, Jake, how was my intro? By the way, is, is it getting better with you? I, I feel like I'm missing some things. Some some Don McGuire uh, taser. Right? I got some more jokes out there that I can I can bring to the table. I, it, it's probably best to just leave most of my jokes in the <laughs> trash can where they belong. Little little Ramos, uh, Michael Ruffin, but Jake. Uh, you know, it has been. A, I'm glad to use the word slog. I think I've used it almost in every podcast that I've done. Uh, it has been uh, frustrating, disappointing, all the adjectives. And now that this season is over, we've had, a, I guess, a week now to reflect, uh, a little less than a week, six days now, on everything. All season, I would ask, uh, especially new people uh, on the podcast, I ask you, hey, what are your feelings on the season so far? I'd ask him that question. I feel like I'm going to change this to a different question, uh, similar in depressing fashion. When did you exactly feel that this season was going awry? I mean, like, 
that this group was not going to make the postseason because it had so much high expectations. And, you know, as it goes along, you're like, you know, to the next game, there's 82 games, and we'll get the next one. They'll get on a hot streak. When did you finally come to the realization that they were just not going to make the postseason? Well, it was weird. I was actually, um, over the All-Star break, um, I talked to one of the other writers at Bulls Forever, Lindy Wood, and, you know, she's been so I was like, you know, can you kind of run some – you know, number projection stuff to kind of figure out what the Wizards need to do after the break to make the playoffs. And it basically came back, they need about two thirds of their game to do that. And I'm like, well, that's not going to happen <laughs> this way. And so I kind of, like, I, I, I knew the schedule was getting better and I knew the Morris trade would help, but I just, there was just no way this Wizards was going to win every three games to close the season. And so it was like, this is probably going to, they're getting close, and there's going to be moments where you're like, maybe they have a shot here. And then, you know, I think that's exactly what happened. It felt like it was close for a little bit, but then they would lose a disappointing game to the Pacers or the Kings. And, you know, they would get set back. It looked like they were close and just ran out of time. Yeah, that no, I, I agree exactly. And I kept trying to do this optimism, optimism. You know, hey, we'll get Ellen Anderson back. You know, hey, we got Markeith. Let's see how this goes. You know, they start playing well after the All Star break, especially on the defensive end, right? And you're like, hey, they're going to put it together. They're going to put the streak together. They put a five game winning streak. And then they just can never. And then they can never get it back together. And then even when you're like, okay, they're dead and buried. They 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 suffered those awful losses against Denver and Utah. Then they come back with another five-game winning streak just to just to reel us back in, dude. One more time, right? And you knew that that then the T Wolves the T Wolves game at home it was pretty much done uh, because you knew that they were you know to beat the Warriors was likely not going to happen, and then they fall to the Kings, and that was pretty much it. Uh, you know, even more more to it uh, than that. But yes, do you feel how? How painful was this season? You know, as someone that does a lot online, I mean, you, gosh, you're, you know, you're dealing with this team just as much as I am, if not more, especially with all, you know, being an editor at a major site. I'm, I'm just a cog in the wheel over there at truthaboutit.net. Uh, and I know you've got a lot of responsibilities. How, and, but you're also a diehard fan as well, like myself. How tough has the season been? I mean, I mean, when you think back of all the rough years that we've had over this, over you know the last decade plus, has this been one of the most toughest to deal with, or the least fun? I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, in terms of just pure disappointment, I think you kind of have to go back to that last year. Jordan was here, and yeah. you know they acquired Stackhouse, and a lot of people thought maybe they could be top two in the East, and then they just you know fell apart and. I think they ended around 10th in the conference, ironically. You know, just, you know, just enough to tempt you to maybe think there was something there, but they never put it together. And, you know, one thing to just watch a bad team, fulfill expectations, but when you've got a team that should be good and they're just not anywhere close to it, that, that's where it, it gets pretty disappointing pretty quick. Yeah, I always, always wonder if they wouldn't have traded Sackhouse and just kept Rip. You know? that Because that, yeah. that I feel like Rip and Michael had a thing going there, especially with Rip being young, playing off the ball, and, and when Sackhouse and Jordan just didn't mesh together on the court. You know, I wish I would have been able to run some analytics back in the day yeah, well, to, to prove that. <laughs> but it just felt that way. Right. Yeah, well, and it just fits the pattern that, unfortunately, we've seen far, 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 far too often here, just instead of waiting another year or two to let your guy develop, just try to get someone that's a finished product, but then you turns out they're probably already on. The, chemi- the chemi- chemistry issues developing. Yeah, I would say the 08-2008-2009 uh, season was very painful. Uh, and then also, the first year flip, and then the firing Eddie and the Ed Tescop year, 
Those two were really a slog to deal with. And then the, the lockout season, in the John Wall era, I felt like the lockout season was the most difficult. Uh, just there were so many games, and they were just so bad, and, and he, John was struggling, and then Flip got fired, and then Whitman came in, and there was just so much turmoil, and, you know, you're dealing with just, you know, Javel and just all that, you know, Shaq and a fool. It was just, just, just snowballing. It just was not a fun season. Uh, it was almost like the games helped out because there were so many games. But from a reality standpoint, I don't remember writing half those things. But it just was not, it was just like, oh, great, another game. It helped you get over that you were so bad because there was another game to focus on. But it just was not a good experience. But let's let's go back to this team, uh, Jake. Uh, okay. Right now, we're, we're, the opens have started on this team. They have, they're coming out from, you know, J. Michael Comcast, Jorge Castilla, you know, you got your columnists of Washington Post here and there, which, you know, I don't really want to go into them yet. I, I still have credibility issues with uh, a few of them, how much I believe they're, or uh, how much credence I give to their opinions. Uh, you know, hey, we got some hot takes, the truth about it. Oh, Bulls Forever's got some hot takes. I know Bulls Forever's commenters got some hot takes. Wizards Reddit is full of them. Uh, you know, I stay away from the Washington Post comment section. I try to. But they're out there, right? I mean, even Chris Miller on Comcast. Heck, Buck Ants and Phil were starting, starting them early before the season is. Just the reasons why this season fell off from disappointment. And so what I want to do is go over some of the main ones that people are, are going that have been given, and me just kind of brief how we feel about each one. Because uh, some of them, hey, it all makes sense. Some of them, I don't really, I feel don't have as much merit. Obviously, I think you have to start with the defense. And this one is number one. Uh, here are some stats, don't lie. Uh, this year, they end up finishing 14th in defense uh, in the league at efficiency. Uh, the Last year, they were 15th, or sorry, last year, they were 5th. And the year before that, they were 6th. So if you want to look at any reasons why Randy Whitman was fired, I believe that is it. Uh, and offense efficiency, they finished 18th in the league. They were 21st uh, the year before and 19th prior year. So the offense pretty much stayed the same. Uh, even though we went over this huge change, uh, it, it didn't really drop off. Uh, but to me, it wasn't so much about the defense, Jake. It was this part of the defense. Three-point percentage. They give up. They gave up. They sh- team shot thirty-seven percent against them, ranked twenty-eighth in the league, almost good for last place. The last two years, they give up thirty-four uh, percent, thirty-four point five, and thirty-four point nine percent, ninth and sixth. Those two stats stand out to me, Jake. How much do you feel like the defense is the number one reason? Yeah, I mean, I think even though it got a lot better um, after the Morris trade, I think he, you know helped kind of limit those second-chance opportunities that, um, you know, because he's a much better rebounder than Dudley. So I think that helped a bit, and just having his versatility to guard guys on the post and the perimeter helped. But, yeah, like you said, their their inability to guard the three-point shot kind of killed them all year. And even last year, to some extent, you know, in fourth quarters a lot, when teams were, you know, first really starting to experiment with going small, they had a lot of issues with that last year. Like thinking back to like that near comeback against Miami and several other instances, there was just a lot of times where they weren't prepared to handle teams getting more aggressive, taking threes. And, and I think that really bit them this year. You know, they made a lot of adjustments to be more modern offensively, but I don't think that translated on the other end. Yeah, I, I can I completely agree. I don't know how much if we won't get at individuals. I mean, people would say John Wall's defense has slipped. Uh, playing small, the, we're not able to use you know Gortat and Nene as effectively on the defensive end. Maybe that's some of it, but I don't really understand why dudes were just. I mean, it felt like for the first two months of the season, dudes were just wide open. I mean, and even when they improved, I think mm-hmm. it was just more the teams were missing more. <laughs> <laughs> then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, yeah, I mean, their, their defense was so much better. I was like, yeah, it proved a little, but it feels feel like piece, teams were just missing their open shots more so. I think the, the Wizards have some crazy stat where like teams had made more open shots against them than any team in the league. It was something crazy. Now, granted, why the hell they giving up so many open shots, but uncontested, I mean, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think 
a little bit of it at the start was just, you know, teams were unnaturally hot and some of that was bound to kind of regress. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line was I think there was just a lot of communication issues, which, you know, you could partly say injuries were part of that, that, you know, so many units were getting, you know, guys were playing with other players they weren't used to. And, you know, that can lead to some defensive miscues, but yeah, just, there was just way too many open shots. And if you leave guys that open, they're going to burn you no matter who it is at this level. Like even the Sixers, you know, they didn't win games, but they kept several of those contests a lot closer than they should have because they were letting guys shoot. Oh, yeah. I, I felt terrible after almost every single one of those, those Sixers victories. I felt dirty. I felt dirty, Jake. Yeah, got the victory, got the hell out of there, but it was not, uh, not fun, especially some of those collapses that the Wizards had. Now, this, while we just, before we go to the other main one people give, let's just go to this one because it kind of segues into what we were mentioning. The, the going to the new offensive style, right? How much to pace and space and blogger ball? Now, John Wall, blah. John Wall, you know, I'll never criticize John Wall that much, but right now he has this talking point of revision history where he's like, yeah, we just didn't practice much defense in the, in the, in the training camp. Or, you know, we weren't ready to play defense in the training camp uh, because we were doing so much on the offensive end. Uh, you know, how much that is true or how much that is just kind of, I feel like that's just revisionist history. It's like you either get back on defense and find your man and talk to each other or you don't. Do you really have to go over that that much uh, from in training camp? when you were the fifth-ranked defensive team in the league last year? I mean, maybe there's some situations here and there, but, I mean, you had your main guys back. I mean, Otto's back, Porter's back, Wall's back, Beal's back, Nene back, Gortat, right? Like, I feel like there's six of their seven top guys yeah. are back. I don't understand this. Like, we have to practice defense in, in training camp because we put in some different offensive sets or styles, pushing the ball, let them – to have this defensive drop-off. I, I don't see that. I feel like John, once again, is just trying to answer questions because people ask him, right? It, I don't know. How much, how much do you take into that? Right. That, that? That pace and space blogger ball, that this was the reason. Like, they never should have done it, that this is the reason the Wizards fell off, uh, and that they should have just kept going with Gortad and Nene, which I believe uh, they didn't do, and when they did do, they did it in disastrous fashion this year. It was terrible when they did that. Yeah. Yeah, they were like a negative 6.8 net rating in like 100 plus minutes together this year. So it's like, you know, maybe the Wizards didn't implement pace and space well, but it was still better than what they would have had if they had stuck with the main gore time. It's, <laughs> without, know, just, without a doubt. You know, right? you know, but, what? Yeah, no, keep going. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah it was just like, you know, if, you know, if you thought Dudley had issues, you know, defending and closing out, imagine Monet trying to chase around Draymond Green and, you know, Paul George if Indiana goes small. It, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, say don't fix what isn't broken, but I think you could look back at the way the Wizards were performing, you know, those closing months of last season and, even when Nene was on the floor in the playoffs with Gortat, and you could say that part was broken, and they did need to fix it. And if they hadn't done what they did, I I think this this season would have been even worse. No, no I doubt. Just, I, I don't think, think. I think they put Humphreys. It was more about Humphreys adjusting, and that there that the answer they came up with was probably Dudley, right? Which ended up being okay, but since he had the back issue. They had to go with Humphreys, and then I think they probably wanted to play Anderson a lot more. Probably going to go small with Anderson and Porter, and then they had to start out with Humphreys for size reasons or stubborn reasons, and it just didn't work on the offensive end. And and that was more I feel, and even defensively, Humphreys was out of out of position, and that was more the adjustment than the actual style itself, which is that player specifically. Correct? Is that what you saw? Yeah, well, I feel like when they kind of spent all their money in 2014, they were so convinced that the style that they had there was working. And then all of a sudden, you know, a year later, they realize it's not, and you can't just rely on, you know, you know, six spot minutes of Paul Pierce at the four. 
you know, to get you by, you really need to commit to it. And by that point, they really didn't have the resources for it. So you end up with, you know, Jared Dudley, who's, you know, a nice stretch four off the bench, but really shouldn't be the guy playing 35 a night in that spot. And you got, coming off you know, of back Chris surgery, Humphrey too, dude, right? too. Coming off of back like, surgery, too. I mean. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you got Chris Humphreys, who was basically a center in Boston, and now you're trying to get him to be a, you know, out on the perimeter. And even, you know, just because you have a good outside jumper now, now you have to also handle the ball out there, make quick reads, and, you know, chase guys around on the perimeter on the other end. And all the coaching in the world isn't going to fix that when you're 31. Yeah, your instincts are completely different. You've been doing your whole life, right? I think that you're right. It's like him putting it on the ground and him not being able to reverse the ball were more of the issues than him being able to shoot a three is what I saw. And, and, and going back, I guess you made a good point. That I don't think that really that really comes up as much is that just a year prior, they were the new bad boys, right? They got they got Blair and Seraphin and... And then right. A and Gortat, and we kind of just forget all that because we had those, what, one good, we, we swept, we swept Toronto, and then two years later now we're, we're, we're back to, we're going small, and you, it's hard to really implement all those styles and expect it all really to work, uh, in what, right away. And I don't think most of us did, actually. I think us were patients, but, but now to have this revisionist history to be like, oh, yo, hey, you went from 46 to 36 to 41 to 41 is because you put a new offense in. When I just showed you that the numbers of the offense uh, were the same, and then you basically tried to blame the defense's fall on the offense, which I don't think that's fair at all. Do you? Yeah, yeah no, I completely agree. Although, I mean, I would say um, with the pace and space, it definitely seemed like there was a lot more pace implemented than space. <laughs> yes, yes, and it really yes. Had to just ramp it up, and, you know, they were already good in transition, and I think this year they just got a lot more aggressive in taking opportunities in transition. But, you know, the thing with transition is you can't always create those opportunities. You, have, you know, you can force turnovers to some extent, but, you know, if the other team's really good at protecting the ball, you're kind of stuck. And I think that's what we saw in a lot of those stages where the offense would go four or five minutes without scores because – even though the other team maybe wasn't scoring, just by not turning over the ball, they could kind of go on like a 14-0 run over five minutes. Yeah. Just by, they would know, they could, you know, get a couple junk shots up and score, and the Wizards couldn't even do that. They couldn't do that. Well, that, that kind of gets me into where, you know, you felt that, hey, that if you had the, I want to say the right coach, or the, you know, because we're, we're going to hammer Whitman later. But just, hey, we're going to go small. We got Ubre and Otto, right? We're going to go, maybe we'll go super small. We'll have all these different lineups and all these all these things. And that just never materialized. Now, how much is that of Whitman not doing it? Or to me, maybe now look back, is that the injury started mounting up, correct? And that since it wasn't really working that smoothly, the injury started mounting up. The defense is falling apart. John Wall isn't playing very well. And that whole experimentation of lineups, you know, it almost got experimented. The Lions really almost got experimented. Ex- experimented? Okay, that's a bad word. Ah, they only really happen out of necessity kind of sometimes with these injuries, right? right. <laughs> like, there, there, there was a stretch where, what, I think it was December, you know, when Beal went down and, you know, we played seven or eight guys and we played different kind of lineups that you normally didn't see because we didn't have enough players. More so than like, hey, wow, this is working this game. We go super small. And we're going to go bigger, bigger this game against this team. And they just never seem to ever be able to get anything going to injuries, which segues me in, into my next point, which is going to be the number one one. If they don't talk about it. actually, this will be the number one talking point. Uh, they mentioned, uh, people do. Uh, that's why I put it number three, uh, is injuries, Jake. Uh, you wrote a really good post about this, especially when we're watching the skeleton team known as the Memphis Grizzlies play basketball right now. Uh, we're actually podcasting and not watching that, technically, to be true. Uh, that they had way more injuries than the Wizards, and they found a way to get in the playoffs. And the Wizards, yes, did have injuries that were that were impactful. I, I think Bradley Beals, uh, definitely some, some depth issues. Alan Anderson could have helped here and there. 
But this team has pretty much been healthy for the last few months, and they can never put it together. So I don't know how much weight I put into injuries. How about yourself? Because you know this is what everyone's going to talk about, especially, you know, pundits. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think there's – it's not that it, it doesn't matter because I think really – especially on the defensive end, there were issues just because guys really didn't get a lot of playing time with each other and the guys that were playing a lot, especially – Early in the season, you know, Gary Neal. I don't think they really wanted him to play as much as they yeah. did because he's you're just not a defensive guy at all. And you know, so I, you know, there's there's something to be said there, but at the same time, you can't use it as an excuse when you have a team like the Grizzlies that not only lost more games to injuries, but lost better players to injuries. Better players, right? Gasol. Yeah, just all sorts of, you know, valuable pieces. And, you know, yeah, a guy like Alan Anderson could have been very useful if he, you know, played a full season and, you know, getting more than 55 games out of Bradley Beal would have been great. But at the same time, you know, if if you're missing the playoffs because you lost, you know, a couple dozen games from Beal and Alan Anderson, you've got bigger issues. <laughs> yeah, like it, it could be like, oh, hey, you could have maybe been a top seed, and now you're six or seven, right? Yeah, you know what I mean? like you dropped, you know, four, three or four spots down in the playoff hierarchy because you know you had a couple injuries and you didn't have your main guy, so you know you had a bad stretch in there. But you missed the playoffs completely, oh, because Alan Anderson, your eighth or ninth guy, wasn't there, or you know Drew Gooden missed, or Martel Webster, Gary Neal. The name is like a month or two. Humphreys missed a couple months. Like somehow that, uh, that that is the discerning factor. Yes, is very shaky. Correct. Right. Yeah. It's just you, you can't you know cry foul over losing your bench guys. That's, if, if that's the reason you're missing the playoffs, then it, it's just not going to cut it. No, this speaks to something that those fundamental issues uh, more. Now, before we get into some of those fundamental issues, uh, how about the the latest one? Too many one-year contracts. That too many guys, or let's see, how how do people talk about it? They're like, yep, just too many guys out there trying to get their own. No one, one, you know, didn't care about the team's success. Just was all worried about where they're going to get their next NBA contract, even though most of these people we're talking about uh, are old veterans who know the know the gig and knowing team success is usually uh, good for player success. How much do you buy this too many guys on one-year contracts excuse now, Jake? Yeah, I, I, I can't get behind that one at all, really. I mean, it's it would be one thing if, you know, you had more guys like Gary Neal who, you know, yeah, you could say, oh, he was probably just trying to get his own. But in some respects, he, he did a decent job at least scoring the ball this season. He was pretty efficient shooting it. And, you know, he wasn't great on defense, but no one was expecting him to be great on defense. And then you got other guys like Jared Dudley, Garrett Temple. I mean, it's not like they were, you know. Ball hogs, right? Out of character. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, you know. Jared Dudley had like a 20 game or something and stopped playing defense. You know, I mean, like we said before, he kind of was what he was. He has his limitations, but it's not like he stopped caring. And I, th- I think in some ways it kind of masked that a lot of the issues this year were with the guys that are staying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a concern because, you know, you know, I think Wall and Beal, you know, they're kind of becoming different players in some respects, and I think they're still trying to learn how to adjust to one another. You know, I wouldn't call it chemistry issues. They seem to have a good rapport with one another, but at the same time, you know, as Beal evolves and Wall evolves, there's a there's like a constant kind of shifting dynamic of how to work with each other. And then, you know, Gortat, he's still a great pick-and-roll guy, but is he really the guy you want anchoring your defense as he gets older? And, you know, you still have to kind of figure out what Otto Porter's role is. So I think it's kind of deflecting some of the attention away from the real issues with the guys that are staying. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, Nene on an expiring contract, did you ever watch Nene play and say, hey, he didn't give it his all? Uh, that's not Nene's issue. Dewan Blair, was, was he a ball hog? He hardly played. You know, I guess maybe he shot too much. But I don't think he was a cancer. Drew Gooden, the drizzle, that's the last thing he was going to be as a cancer on this team, right? I mean, he was, he was thankful to be back on the back in the NBA from, from the chance the Wizards got. You think he's going to go around and pout and get mad because he wasn't playing? I just don't buy this, like, somehow these one-year contracts guys were, were the negative chemistry. Now, the one, how about this one? Now, this one, this is the next one would be, now, J. Michael had this re- report the other day that, uh, that, that, that there was, that there was a lack of respect for Randy Whitman, which obviously we, we, you know, felt that through some of the reports, but there was accountability that, the, that Randy Whitman was holding certain players accountable and wasn't holding other players accountable. And they actually put a name on it. And they said that that Randy Woodman would not would not call out uh, Nene or Ramon Sessions, certain veterans, but would call out players like uh, Wall and Beal, and I guess maybe Otto. I don't know. They just I assume Wall and Beal. Now, do you, you pin any of this on Nene, especially on the defensive end? What they were talking about was defensive coverages and pick and rolls. That somehow when an A would screw up, that he wouldn't get called out, but everyone else would get called out. I yeah, I, I, mean, I, f- I found this antidote very bizarre because of all of all the things you would say about an A. Yeah, maybe he screwed up on defensive here and there, but I mean, he's arguably the best defender on the court every time he's on there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like in some respects, I almost don't even blame Randy Whitman because I know if I was working with Nene on a day-to-day basis, I, I don't think I'd want to pick a fight with him. Yes, I wouldn't either. You know, Certainly, he's a, moody, he's a moody dude, man. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, if you, you make him angry, you're, you're, you know, he's going to win every fight. It's just, it's just given. But, I mean, even still, I mean, I highly doubt this stuff happened just this year. Yeah. You know, I mean, Odds are, you know, maybe Randy may have had a soft spot for Nene, but, you know, it's like Doc Rivers says about how winning's the great deodorant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ask everything when everything's working, and then when it's not working, then it becomes a problem. And I think that's kind of more the situation here. It's It only, you know, stuff like that only rises to the top where everything else isn't working, and I think... You know, once this team started to realize that Randy Whitman's pace and space wasn't gonna, you know, take them to the next level, that's when all the other things that were fine when things were on the up and up started becoming issues. Well, what I thought was the bizarre part is that it said that Sessions wanted Whitman to call him out, and then Whitman wouldn't call Sessions out. And then I'm like, okay, who? Who is airing this to J. Michael? What player is doing this? I felt like it was either B.O. Wall. And, and maybe I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. And, dude, you either were playing bad on pick and roll or not. Why Why? Why do you give a shit what Randy Whitman is saying to the backup in, 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 a, in, a, in a coaching session? I, I, I don't really – I didn't really understand the whole point of it all. If, if Plus, I didn't know also, too, J. Michael was just trying to start some shit. I always say start some stuff, but – you know, ask leading questions. You know, hey, what annoys you in film session, right? Something like that, right? Like, I don't know how much this is, you know, a thing, you know, or him just kind of asking leading questions behind the behind the scenes because he doesn't give a name to who writes these quotes, obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's something. You know, I I think it could go a lot of different ways, but you know, at the same time, like. If you're a coach, like, you know guys like Nene and Ramon, you know, they are who they are. Yeah, they're going to bring and, it, right? Right, and it's like, if, if they, there are certain things that they're not getting now, it there's, there's not a lot you can do to change that. I agree. You know, like, if they haven't gotten it by age 30, 31, 32, I mean, what else can you really say? Whereas, like... You know, Beal and Wall are, you know, in theory, coachable still. Or like, auto, auto, can, auto, Uber, right? Yeah. yeah, like, those are guys you can still work with, that you can develop and make into something more than they are. You know, there, there's always going to be, you know, Ramon just doesn't have the 
the physical tools to be an elite defender. Not at all. Like he's, he's never going to be one. He's never going to be one, right? And like Nene, you know, he does a lot of great defensive things, but, you know, he's not as nimble as he used to be. And, you know, there's going to be some things you have to live with there too. And it's just like, you know, I, I think it's just one of those things after a, a frustrating season, it's it's easy to vent about things that you didn't like, but I don't think it really did a whole lot uh, at the end of the day with wins and losses. Okay, I agree. Moving on, another big one. Missing leadership. Paul, the Paul Pierce effect, uh, Jake. I, I said at the beginning of this podcast during, I, I feel like it was in the preseason, I told Kyle that I'm never going to mention Paul Pierce's name again because we just talked about Paul Pierce and Paul Pierce and media day and Paul Pierce and so many Paul Pierce questions. And somehow I think I leaked it out here and there and we let it go. Uh, and now it's came it's came back again. We're back with Paul Pierce. This team just could not get over the hump without Paul Pierce's savvy veteran leadership on this team. Now I'm mocking it, but you know, there could be some truth to it. I don't know. Where do you fall on the line of this? Well, I think it's one of those things. If they had brought Paul Pierce back somehow this year, I don't think he really would have fixed anything. Just because, I mean, based on what he's done with the Clippers this year, I think, I think he, he the Wizards. He could have played him that often, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they got all the you know truth juice they could have out of him, and you know, I don't think anything would have been served by bringing him back in hindsight. But like, I, I do think there's a certain element to the leadership stuff that might stick. I mean, like, I know Pierce emphasized defending home court last year, and and they went twenty nine and twelve um, yes. at home. Even though you know the you know it's not like the fan support was a whole lot better um, last year compared to this year. So, and you know, I think when you see like how they respond to playing better at home as opposed to this year, where you know, they kind of slipped a little bit on that end and, you know, things about, like, complaining about the Chick-fil-A sandwiches and, you know, other fans coming in and cheering, you know. Those weren't issues last year. And I think, you know, having a guy like Pierce to kind of remind you, hey, that's not the issue, we just need to kind of do our thing. You know, I, I think there's something to that. I don't know if, you know, he's the the guy that, you know, that fixes the two of not making the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're right. That there is some type of the that there is this that there is this calming effect of a Hall of Famer on your team, right? A very a vocal one and one that can still play somewhat, right? I mean, there has to be some some impact. Like there has to be a net positive that you have a guy like that on your team, especially when you have a couple of young young guys that are your main players, correct? So I can't discount that. It's just when the whole veteran savvy thing gets just overplayed and overplayed. When I'm like, well, let's go back to how he actually did, and and you know, I don't know how she would have really helped us that much on the court. But when things go down and sour, does he get? Does he? Does, is he able to reach a guy and make a point where you know the coaching staff didn't? How at this point I was trying to think of is that maybe it's not so much Paul Pierce not being there. Is that Sam Cassell was on this team two years ago? He's been. He was on the. They lost Sam Cassell, but then Paul Pierce replaced Sam Cassell essentially. Now Sam Cassell was a coach, didn't play, but I felt like he had that same gravitas, that same yeah. similar older guy, been in the league for a long time, you know, big mouth, talks a lot of smack, but get in your face, but could back it up and had a, and had a history of backing it up. Now Sam was a coach, it was different, but. Once Sam was in John Wall and Bradley Beal's ear all the time from from the time in the league. And then he leaves, and then now you have Paul Pierce that kind of felt that felt that filled that role a little bit, and that's just not really been has been Howard Isley's uh, uh, Howard Isley from a coaching standpoint, or even 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 uh, not Blair uh, Dudley, even though Dudley is you know the veteran guy kind of leadership, just completely different kind of personality. Uh, so that to me maybe is the losing Cassell Pierce back to back years and not really replacing him that type of style maybe had the more of the effect. I, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm just throwing reasons out there. 
No, I think there's definitely something to that. And, I, you know, I think there is something, you know, they definitely didn't replace that kind of personality with who they brought in. Like you said, you know. When you, when, no, no, you say, when you see, like, for example, when you see Wall and Beal sulking, like, those two dudes would go in their face and say, you know, stop, you know, what the fuck, or yeah. stop that, right? Where I don't see anyone on this team this year would dunk something like that, right? Right. And, and, and to, to be fair, like, to go back to the one-year deal for one second, the one area where that there might be something there is like, if I'm John Wall and I've got a guy on an expiring deal trying to tell me to step it up, yeah, that's where I'm coming. <laughs> Why do you want me to step it up? Why don't you step it up? You've got a, you know, you're the one that needs money next year. Correct. And you know, you know, there's there's little stuff like that where it's like, you know, I can see that there's a little something there, but yeah. I don't think it's the the straw that broke the camel's back. And then you 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 touched on this briefly before. Uh, some other people are really trying to push this angle. Is I would say there's a rift between Wall and Beal, but something's missing this year between Wall and Beal as years passed. I don't know if they're making a personality thing. I haven't really seen anything for myself. I haven't heard anything behind the scenes. But is there is Wall and Beal their togetherness? Their stock is obviously Juan Beal's stock is a lot lower than it has been the last two off seasons for obvious reasons. So those two people are going to get criticized, but they're specifically criticizing their like camaraderie together as a duo, as a backcourt. Do you see any of that? Well, I think Beal evolved a lot this year in terms of being able to create his own shot. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really wall to set him up all the time, which is a good development because you can't, you know, rely on Wall to do everything. You need to be able to step up and take some of that. And especially, you know, with Pierce leaving, you need a guy that can kind of ISO up a little bit and do some of that stuff. So that's a good development. But at the same time, part of that is Wall has to work better now at doing stuff off the ball, taking advantage of, like, you think he should be, like, a great, like, off-ball cutter. And that really hasn't developed yet. And, of course, it would help if, you know, his outside shot continues to grow. I mean, it definitely took a step forward this year. You know, teams still really aren't, you know, worried about leaving him open. They'll kind of live with the results. And, you know, that makes it harder on Beal and anyone else who wants to do something with the ball because they know John Wall's defender is going to be crowding the paint, limit penetration because they're not worried about him. So I think it's more just they have to kind of continue to develop their skill sets to work off each other better. You know, it can't it can't just always be John Wall penetrate and kick out the Beal. Mm-hmm. It kind of has to be back and forth to kind of really get the best out of each other. And I think, you know, there's an element where it took a step forward, Beal kind of learning how to score with that wall, but now there has to kind of be a better development of that to maximize it. Yeah, I definitely feel, especially before Beal got hurt uh, this year, you know, he really worked on last summer, I know, with his trainer on those step backs, less less long twos, you know, attacking more to the rim. You know, he definitely has to get better a little bit still on his ball handling, which we saw, you know, have a bugaboo against Detroit, especially late in the game, in that last deciding playoff game. Uh, he has improved though, overall, I would say, with his ball handling. You know, quicker moves. Uh, I think he thinks a little bit too much once in a while. Um, and definitely has improved his free throw shooting. He should not be this bad of a free throw shooter. But he definitely shot more threes. He's more efficient. All the stuff that we've been bitching about his whole career shows up in the stats. It really does. And, and it just the whole, it's just the whole injury things. As for Wall, you know, his three point percentage was way improved. You know, career stats had all-time franchise season once again. But at the end of the year, something happened to him tentatively. Going to the rim, he was overthinking it way too much. And I, and I think John Townsend, uh, truth about it, has, has done a lot of uh, stats of just his uh, going to the rim in, in uh, shots at the rim in, in half-court situations. It's, like, really bad. And so, some, so I don't know how much that is on him or how much that is something on the offense where, hey, you got this really great player who can still can be you know, 
crossover dudes, quick, change of motion. He should be getting to the rim in half-court situations a lot more than he has. I mean, I mean, it's really bad. I mean, it's yeah. like the players he's against, yeah. you're like, you're not even close to his physical ability, it, you know. So I don't know how much that is somatic. You know, it's probably partly on John, partly on Brad a little bit, you know, where they're kind of uh, situated. And then also, obviously, on the, the systems, I believe. Is that what you said? Hey, okay, the other the other reasons it was to go through poor home record, which people are not going to really mention. I'm going to mention they were 22 and 19 this year, 29 and 12 last year, 22 and 19 the year before. They have to be better free throw percentages. See, I did this number of free throw percentages, and I thought it'd be a lot worse. Uh, they were 25th in the league at 73 percent from the free throw line. Uh, I don't know how they have trips; it's just percentages. Last year, they were 23rd at 74, and the year before, they were 26 at 70, 72. So, I guess the free throw hasn't really been as bad, but I know you wrote a piece on Bullets Forever, and it, made a, it was a really good piece, because a lot of these games came to mind that you can think of just, I mean, yeah, you could be like, oh, hey, you lost by 70, missed 10 free throws. You know, if you made those 10, you could have won. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, yo, John Wall makes those two free throws in the game. They beat the Raptors. Uh, if you don't miss 20 free throws versus the Blazers, you beat them, right? I mean, there were the Pacers game, you missed right. what, 15 free throws. You lose by one point on a Paul George shot at the end. I mean, like, those games are like, no, 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 like, you better free throw per- shooter, like, you win those games. There was like three to five games I know you wrote about uh, this free throw thing, and I think it's a, it's a thing of this season that when I look back on it, hey, you know, why are they not playing right now? And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, the teams that have been finishing behind the Wizards most years, it's because they've got guys that get specifically hacked to go to the free throw line. Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, Drummond and Howard, and like the Wizards are like the worst team that doesn't have a clear hacking candidate, and that's I think what's most frustrating is that you know you've got these guys who. Yeah, has anyone ever done the hack in the A? I, I, they should, but they never do. I can't think of it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah Carlisle did a hack of Ramon Sessions in that one Mavericks <laughs> game, which was very confusing, because that's actually one game you could argue, like, they benefited, because <laughs> you know, he got three free throws, that he nailed all of them, and I think they won by three. And so, you know, you, you take some, you lose some, but, I mean, yeah, that well, I mean, they definitely lost a lot more than they got. Yeah, and uh, but that was a. Uh, but no, the point you're making is that we don't have a candidate for the hacker hacker shoot, and we're still still support free throw shoot team historically. I mean, not historically, but over the, right. the John Wall era, especially Randy Women's tenure. Yeah, it's there's not like a clearly bad one. There's just not a clearly great shooter, and the ones that are respectable at it don't get to the free throw line enough to overcome your below average free throw shooters like Nene who get to the line a lot but you know it's like you know they generally always say getting to the free throw line is an efficient possession because generally you get two points out of it but you know with Nene you know sometimes you're getting one or none and it's like you waste a good offensive possession you know because of poor free throw shooting Yes, I, I I concur. Okay, how about how about this one? Uh, these are ones that I've created. I'm not going to go on my huge rant. When I, when I make these points, I'm not going to mention virtual reality or arena ball. I'm just going to say that over. I will not make pithy comments about virtual reality or apps or or venture capital funds or arena football. Okay, okay. Real friendly. Okay, let, let, me, let me start. Uh, the drafting. How about how about this? Like. You know, you can only punt out of so many drafts, right? Like, you can only miss on so many draft picks that eventually maybe you kind of are not very good in average because you just haven't hit on enough young players in the mother effing NBA draft, Jake. Let's go down the stats. 2015, we have one player on the team. That would be Kelly Oubre. 2014, there's no players on this team from the 2014 draft. 2013, they have one player because... Uh, that'd be Otto Porter because of Glenn Rice. 2012, they have one player. Uh, and then, of course, we have no picks in the 2016 draft. 
So in the last five drafts, they currently have three players on their roster. Okay. I mean, and I'm counting the, the future draft, which, you know, there's still a 2% chance that we could get a lottery pick. So, you know, uh, shake your fuzzy dice. You know, no, I know people don't want to mention this because it's, it's hard to correlate like directly, but I feel like it's just as important of all these other reasons that this franchise is being built by, you know, especially over the monumentals tenure, six years in. And, you know, aside from Beal and, and Wall and Porter, who were all top three picks, and Kelly Oubre, he's a rookie. What what young assets have we ever shown? And what what? And here's the thing: it's not so much about that. Yes, I'm really pissed. We don't have other assets, but all these other picks, we never really turned them in anything else. You know what I mean? Like like what other picks did Monumental make that turned them into something else? So we never accumulated any young assets. We traded them away. Now you could say, I guess, I guess Gortat would be the one, right? You could say because we traded a first round pick. So aside from that. There is nothing that Monumental has really drafted under John, their ownership uh, under this John Wall era that has really turned it into anything. They have not been creative. They've not done well. That's I'm going to go back. I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to mention Virtual Reality Arena Ball, but still no D-League team that they own in six years of owning this team. We have never really used the D-League that well at all. I think they what, had Glenn Rice go down there for a couple year, couple weeks, like a month once. What else? Right. Kelly Rubey didn't go back this year down there at all. We don't really have a team anymore because someone bought our team. I think we're Iowa still. I don't even know who we're still affiliated with. Now, that's part of the plan, you know, but Ted, they also been telling about this plan for five years. He's going to be this D-League team. Now, I know that, that this is what they want to do with this new practice facility that I support, but I feel that, that I know this is about the front office as well, but, but Jake, I mean, don't you think it's a big deal? You can't just keep trading draft picks and drafting Thomas Sadoransky and then not paying him, and then just you know instead of drafting you know all these other players, I don't want I don't want to mention his name, but Draymond, Draymond Green or or Jay Crowder, and then you end up you know this is a second round, like we're not able to find these diamond in the roughs, and then you wonder why oh wow you know Gary Neal got hurt, Webster got hurt, uh, Drew Gooden got hurt. Uh, we're, we're waiting for our, uh, you know Anderson to be hurt. Well, that's because we have no young dudes, or we haven't traded these young dudes for better players, right? I'm yeah. sorry, my rant's over. Jake, go. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no, I completely. Agree. It's um, it's frustrating, right? Something. Like, yeah, well, it's it's you know, like you said, you know, when you whiff on draft picks and you have to replace them with veterans, veterans are more likely to get hurt, and veterans are more likely to get tired on. Back-to-backs and other ruling stretches, and I think we saw that a lot this year with the Wizards. You know, there was just on the back end of, you know, those, you know, two games and two nights, they were really, really bad this year, right? I'll, like, I'll pull up those numbers now, but... Um, <laughs> oh, like, I'm sure it's bad, right? Because not, not only do your old players wear out faster, but then... The young players who still have something, you know, like John Wall, they have to try to kick it into overdrive to compensate. And so you're kind of making your young players older faster. You're mm-hmm. trying to um, make up the difference. And it's just, it's a bad situation. And it's just a cumulative effect. And like you said, you know, like Jan Vesely after three years, all we had to show for him was Andre Miller. <laughs> and we had to trade a second, we had to give up a second round pick to get rid of Young Vesley. Remember correctly. More young players to get rid of your bad young players. <laughs> and then on, on sessions, and now, you know, so you, out of a, a number six pick, you got two and a half years of Yon. A year and a half, a, a year of Andre and a year and a half of Ramon. And now you're going to have nothing. For, you know, a guy that was, you needed to be a cornerstone of your rebuild. And that's, that hurts. It really, really hurts. And then also the, that, but then you, what, what are their second round picks? I mean, like I get a Euro stash here and there, but Sadoransky, like you still, I still have fake can be good. But at some point, it's like, yo, dude, we can't win 50 games and you're, you're stashing people for five years. It, and, you know, I know it's a, it's an individual stamp circumstance with him specifically. Uh, 
But it just, it's just frustrating when they needed some other players. You know, we're, we're, we're getting Drew Gooden off the freaking scrap heap. He's doing yoga on Silver Spring. We're getting him to play instead of like our second round draft pick. <laughs> I, I got the number seven and 13 on the back end of uh, two games and two nights. So, so is it just a short sightedness? Is that what I'm complaining about? Just catches up to them eventually? And maybe this is when, hey, you get a couple bumps in the roads and you don't have the stables or, or the foundation of an organization. Uh, on the back end of these players. I mean, even Glenn Rice, they traded two different picks of Glenn Rice. He was a summer league MVP, and then they cut him the middle of the season because they didn't want to pay him. Now, granted, Glenn Rice has ran into his own personal problems, and maybe him and Randy Whitman were not the right coach, and maybe he is an NBA player. I don't know. But here's the deal. They did trade two assets for him, and he was the summer league MVP. He actually looked better than Otto Porter, who was their number three pick. Uh, and then you trade two picks out for Kelly Oubre, so now you don't even have a second-round pick. And then you trade another pick for Markeith Morris. And you know, on and on and on, you, you, you could have drafted Jordan Clarkson. Maybe Jordan Clarkson wasn't your pick. You sell Jordan Clarkson. Uh, the resources of not putting any resources into the draft is something that just obviously drives me insane. Uh, and, and I feel it doesn't get touched on enough when we talk about what are the issues of this mm-hmm. franchise and this organization. Uh, do you, do you feel like the short-sightedness it comes in? Because it doesn't come back to my next plan. Or my next point is, is this season, Jake, are you ready? We're going to move topics. But is this season, did it really matter what happened this season? Like the results? You know, I, I know people don't understand. Yeah. Like, 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 yeah, it, ma- like it mattered, right? But, I mean, this mm-hmm. is about this three-year plan, right, that they're about to right. execute. And I feel like they maybe did a little bit better in the playoffs than they maybe even thought the last two years. If you if you never mm-hmm. want to get new personal. I mean they thought they'd do well and they would develop, but the expectations kinda got raised up a little bit because, you know, hey, they beat that Bulls team that, you know, they weren't favored to beat. Uh they swept the Raptors. Uh and then, you know, they they, they looked good against the Hawks in game one. You know, had some good games against the Pacers. Uh, and then maybe we all thought they were going to make the next jump, but they didn't really put the resources in to make the next jump because this whole plan that they put in place three years ago or two and a half years ago was about this summer. And that maybe when things went awry, I'm not saying like, hey, I'm not saying that Ted, I'm not saying that Manny Mantle and all the guys that work for the Wizards don't want to be in the playoffs. They do. They don't want to, they want to, from not even a financial standpoint, a personal standpoint, a professional standpoint. But as for the actual, if you look back at it, that this is just a business as a three-year prong, like all these other things. Do you sell the fl- flexible stability? Do you have to still have these young pieces in place? Do you still have roster spots? Do you still have the resources to go after these big people? That's all a yes. <laughs> and then it's maybe there's just a mulligan. The results of this year are just a mulligan for this for this three-year plan. Well, I would say yes and no to that. Okay. And because I think you can say, you know, if KD, you know, is your only path to a title, then, yeah, you take that risk that you take a step back this year if you think you can get him. And that's okay. But at the same time, you know, whether it's KD or not, you still have to... Um, project an image of stability and a well beyond stability. You have to project that you want to win. Come, yeah, that that not only will you help take us to the next level, but that we're going somewhere. And Washington really didn't do that this year to any you know real stretch of the imagination. And it's you know as nice as Washington is as a you know a, a market. It's not going to be out, you know, places like New York and Los Angeles that also have gobs of free agent money to spend. And so if you don't have, you know, an elite um, team or some other kind of inefficiency you can exploit in the free agent market, you know, you're not going to be fighting for Kevin Durant. You're going to be like, oh, do we have to throw a max at Harrison Barnes or... You know, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, like, I think you could say, you could make an argument that the process was right in trying to go all out. 
strategy, but at the same time, there are there's minutia within the process that could have gone a lot better, and I think it's gonna show its ugly head in the Wizards' struggles maybe to get the guys they want this summer. That's true. It's like how do you stay flexible and have a better product on the court? without giving up your flexibility for the future of what your overarching plans were, correct? And that's, I think that's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of things they juggled. But I was just making the argument, in the bigger, broader picture, if they get Kevin Grant this summer, then this season doesn't really even matter. If they get, they, you know what I mean? Like, like that's, their plan worked. Everything was, they have the money, they have their pieces, they have all this flexibility, and this is what they want to do. And they got into this prime, and this is when it's go time. And now it's, now... These whole last years were to build up to this moment. Now, obviously, putting all your bags eggs in a basket and not having draft picks and not seem to have a plan B is the ones that make everyone worried and concerned. Correct? Yeah. Well, and I think they kind of kind of put themselves in a corner where Katie to DC is really their only viable option because of how they bungled those draft picks. Because. Like, Yep. You know, not to compare it to the Warriors because it's an easy thing to compare to, but, you know, Golden State has kind of been rumored to be in the Durant race, possibly. But because they've drafted so well, if Durant's not interested in Golden State, they're in a great position. <laughs> they're in an incredibly great position because they nailed their draft picks. And Washington did not. And so now, you know, it's a hope and a prayer for Washington. The Golden State is like Kevin Durant. You know, if you come here, that's cool. But if not, we're we're fine. That wraps up part one of my discussion with Jake Whitaker and Bulls Forever. Go check out part two. It's a good one. Thanks everyone, and as always, go is Whitman out. But the-